0: Making me look good would be the um, impossible. Like making God look good is easy to do, isn't it? It's, uh, I was joking earlier, my daughter came up to me uh, with an eyeliner thing, a bit of makeup, and said, Dad, can you give this to mum? And, uh, and I said, Well, can you give it to mum? And uh, I said, I've already done my makeup. She looked at me and said, If you've got your Bibles, this morning or your phone with you, um, can you open them to Philippians chapter 3? If you haven't, the verses hopefully will appear on the screen behind me here. Um, We're in our part three of our four-part series on joy. Um, The letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi is a very encouraging wonderfully encouraging letter um, to a local church that's actually doing really really well um, and i want to say redeemer well done we're doing really really well um, in amongst all kinds of stuff going on um, this letter i love it because there's such terms of affection from paul and he he knows that they have a real affection for him they've been through stuff together they've, they've They've got a past together, a good past, Um, and he is confident that what he's seen God start in them, he will bring to fruition when Jesus returns again. He's absolutely certain of it, not because they're this great, amazing church, but because of God and his faithfulness. Um, It's stunning. So we're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 3, which hopefully will appear great, Um, and then we're going to get stuck into it. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. It's safe for you. There, you know, is a great um, caveat for a preacher, isn't it? I'm going to repeat myself again. It's for your good. Um, I make no apologies if you think, I'm sure. Debs and Hugh said a bit of that the other week. It's good for you. It's good for you. Um, Paul's not unashamed to remind and remind again. Um, And your elders here are are not worried about encouraging you and reminding you again. Rejoice in the Lord. So the church in Philippi are doing well. But Paul doesn't write a letter here just going, Do you know what? You're doing great. Just just keep it up. He's not saying, um, It's time to sit on your laurels. Um, He's actually saying, he's encouraging them, he's exhorting them to press on in their faith as they work out life of how to love God and love one another, how they do that. And here in chapter 3 in particular, he's saying the secret of success of, of working out your life this way as a follower of Christ is to rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Jesus. like he's so set on this he repeats himself again and again and again Uh, like in chapter 4 verse 4 he says this he says again rejoice in the lord when always always rejoice in the lord and just in case you didn't get the message again i'll say it rejoice so if you've just come this week and you're thinking it's going on about rejoice and joy, and um, we are unpacking this letter that Paul wrote to a church and looking at the gift of joy and the source of joy, Jesus Christ. In a world where there can often feel like there's not a whole lot of joy, or joy is fleeting and fading, actually, what Jesus offers is far greater, far greater. Paul's saying, you need to rejoice in the Lord. You need to. It's good for you. It protects your faith. It's kind of like spiritual safeguarding here. It's like you've got to guard your faith. You're going well. You're doing good. Keep going. Rejoice in him. And that's that's what our songs have been about this morning: rejoicing in the Lord. Do you know? Let's face it, we don't always feel full of beans, full of joy, full of happiness, but it is a key way that we guard our faith in God. When, when I was a new Christian um, 20 years ago now... Uh, <coughs> I had a dear friend of mine, Ollie. He was one of our best men at our wedding, and uh, we we were both newly qualified physiotherapists. We were working together. He was great. We, he he was so generous with his time. I hung out with him all the time. I was the bachelor. He was newly married, and he never was like, "Go away, man. Um, leave us alone." He was he was so generous, um, and he was a key person uh, in helping me find and follow Jesus in those key months as as I. I felt something inside me being awoken and he would sometimes hear me at work or around his house or out and about just generally moaning and grumbling and feeling a bit weighed down and he'd say this to me, he'd say, hey, Tom, you've got to feel the joy and I'd be like, okay, it just it sort of seemed to end the conversation and, and Ollie didn't worry about telling me again and again, you've got to feel the joy. Again and again, and, and I needed to hear that again and again. You've got to feel the joy. And, and, uh, and this is what Paul's saying here. He's saying to the church in Philippi, you've got to feel the joy. Redeemer, you've got to feel the joy. You've got to know the joy of the Lord. And we're, we're looking at joy's focus, which is Jesus. The reason we can rejoice in the Lord always, it's not I'm never, you know, nobody is saying to you, grin and bear it. Life sucks. You're going through this. Just put a face on with you and rejoice in the Lord. Paul's not saying that. I am definitely not saying that. And God doesn't call us to that. It's It's not, you know, come on, man up, woman up. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not that. It's not dismissive of the reality of pains. And we'll unpack that this morning a little bit. But joy is a choice. There is a choice in it. It's, if, if we have received Christ as our Lord and Saviour, if he is yours, then you can choose joy. You can choose it. And, and the reason we can choose joy always is because the source of our joy, Jesus Christ, is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He's, he's unchanging. He's always there. He's always faithful. Joy is a choice, and if it's a choice, then it's an activity that involves the mind. The mind, we've, we've, um, we've talked a bit about in the past, about the battle for our minds. And we need to train our minds in focusing on joy, on focusing on Jesus. Paul does it in these verses here, let's read together. He says, Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, doing good stuff, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's a righteousness that depends on Christ, that depends on him and the finished work of the cross. That depends on being cleansed in his blood for all my sin. It's, it's phenomenal. It's, faith is such a security. I mean, I don't know about you, but... I'm so thankful it doesn't depend on me. I would not last a day. Not one day. I do sometimes wake up and I'm like, God, can I have a perfect day? Could I have a day with no sin? And tuck myself in bed at night and be like, Hee-hoo. and then I remember the Lord's Prayer. And he said, he taught us to pray for our daily bread. And then the next line is, forgive our sins. And that's probably because we sin most days Um, but you know there is a day there is a day when we'll be free of sin even of temptation we look forward to that but we need to remember and that's what Paul's doing here he's bringing it to our minds I'm bringing it to your minds again and again to rejoice in the Lord and uh, Hugh talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He'll, there's power in declaring the truth of things to yourself out loud, regularly and frequently. Remembering what God has done in and through Jesus Christ is vital to us. And the reason is that there's things that rob us of joy. There's joy killers or kill joys. There's joy killers. Um, Paul writes, for many... Of who I've often told you about. There's repetition. I've told you about these guys before. And now tell you even with tears. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is their shame. With minds set on earthly things. He's talking about people with minds set on earthly things. Being consumed by earthly things. I can remember um, doing A-level sociology a little while ago now, and the first time I heard the term consumer. I was not saved, but it would really hit me. I was like, you're describing a person, people. You're reducing people to a being who is about getting stuff, using stuff, consuming stuff. It didn't sit well then. It doesn't sit too well now. Paul, in these verses, is describing people who actually are consumed by stuff of the world, consumed by earthly things. And when your mind is set upon earthly things, essentially you're worshipping yourself. He says, you know, your, your God is your belly. It's whatever, whatever I want, whatever I need, whatever I feel is good and feels right. That, that's, that's what I want. It could even be stuff that really shouldn't even be spoken about. The world will glory in its shame. You see that in the news. You see it around us more and more and, and it's, it's hard to see it. And the reason is they're unaware. They're unaware of the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. They're blind. The Bible talks about people being spiritually blind or spiritually dead in their sin. It's where I was for the first 30 years of my life. It's where you are still now if you're not a follower of Christ. And it is where you were once before you said yes to him. We need to remind ourselves of the benefits of the cross regularly, frequently, at least daily. It shouldn't be a shock to go, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, always rejoice in the Lord. It'd be like, yeah, I, you know, I do, I do. I think perhaps even on those hardest, toughest days, rejoice in the Lord. Um, I want to say to anyone who is a first-time visitor here um, or who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour, you're very, very welcome. We love having new people here. Um, and we're excited that you're here. I believe that God is going to work this morning. I, I believe That he's going to work in our hearts this morning and do a beautiful thing. Whether you've been following him for decades or whether you're sort of like not too sure is this real or not. He's going to bless you today. Did you know that to glorify God we have to desire him? We have to delight ourselves in him. Desire. Say desire. Desire. Desire, a bit louder. Desire. Anyone feel uncomfortable about that? Most Christians, you say, desire, we straight away think, oh man, oh. and we think about sins of the flesh, and oh, desire, that's truly, that's not a, oh, what's he doing? He's talking about desire. Tom, cool it down, please. Okay, well actually, The Bible is clear. God is clear. He wants us to desire. He's made us for desire. He's made us joy seekers or pleasure seekers as it were. He's made us that way. He's hardwired us that way. And our enjoyment of him is not, it's only really consummated in our expression of our joy in him. Not our repression of things are expression of joy that's when he receives as it were he is glorified when others see the joy of the lord in you that you are joyful that even in a crap day or a hard month or a terrible year or something awful's happened to you there is a joy in you nonetheless It's a defiant. Somebody's described it as a defiant nonetheless or nevertheless. A defiant nevertheless. What a wonderful thing. Joy! A defiant nevertheless. Really? Well, sometimes it is. If you don't believe me, have a read of Song of Songs. Yeah, You will read in there just how unblushing God is about his church desiring him and him desiring his church. It is a a book about a man and a woman and their love and their union. But it is also allegorically about Christ and his church. And he is unashamed. He wants his church to want him. Jesus wants a really, really enthusiastic bride who rejoices in him and him alone, like a husband and wife are jealous for one another. That's a good thing. That's not a bad word. Jealous. You're mine. I'm yours. I want all of your desire my way. I'm going to give you all my desire. It's a bit like that. Exclusive. Beautiful. And I think sometimes the church, certainly historically, has missed this. We've thought somehow to bring glory to God. There can't be desire and joy in me. Surely glory is a serious, heavy, weighty thing. C.S. Lewis, I want to uh, read a quote of his, hopefully it will come up on the screen. He says this, that the New Testament has lots to say, sorry it's a very big quote, has lots to say about self-denial but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We're told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that desiring our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics, their philosophers, and it is no part of the Christian faith Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, and you fill in the blanks there, when infinite joy is offered, infinite joy. Is offered we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea we are far too easily pleased when you see non-believers looking at the church and going oh no no thanks not for me like i don't want to give up all these pleasurable things well that's because they're far too easily pleased They're too busy making mud pies in the slum. If you have been living life, maybe even this week, living life in the slum, making mud pies, then Jesus offers you much, much more. That's just an analogy, a day at the beach. He offers eternal joy, undiminished joy, infinite joy. We can... If we're not careful as well, we can be earthly minded by just being focused on the here and now. That's what it means to be earthly minded. The here and now. The day-to-day stuff as well as the good, exciting stuff. So for believers, I I know I feel it myself sometimes where I talk and think much. In fact, I do more thinking than talking or doing about DIY or the house or something like that. And me and Nicole will be like, oh, you know, let's just get perspective here Um, you know thanks God for the nice house but it's you know it'll fade it will crumble we can get earthly minded in those moments and the best cure is actually rejoicing God momentarily we can you know it's that sort of treadmill of life eat sleep work repeat maybe have some fun or whatever you actually become underwhelmed I don't know if I came came up with a new term there. Not overwhelmed, but underwhelmed. I I think in those moments, in his grace, God will allow you to feel a healthy, holy discontent. There must be more to life than this. And God's like, hello, there is, I'm here. There is more to life. There's infinite joy. You can get a bit of moments joy here or there, but actually I'm the giver of all joy. I'm the source of all joy. Jesus offers infinite joy. And chapter 3 of this letter, Paul's saying to the church, I want you guys to know this joy. I want you to experience it, to treasure it, to stir it up in yourself. I want you to know the joy of the Lord. Come what may. I'm not going to sing again this week. Come what may. I want you to know the joy of the Lord, no matter what. Joy that goes beyond yourself, beyond your belly. Joy that finds its source and its fulfilment, its focus in God. That's what Paul's trying to do here. To have a, a mind that's set on Jesus and his eternal kingdom, rather than a mind that's set on here and now and nothing else. In Romans 12 verse 2 it says, Do not be conformed to this world. That is what will happen. It's the inevitable, if we are not rejoicing in God, if we're not looking to Jesus, the the author and perfecter of our faith. If we're not looking to him, we will kind of look to other things. Because why? We made joy seekers. We're wired that way. But, Paul writes, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. That doesn't sound so, you don't think, joy, mind. It feels a bit incongruous. But it's there. The battle for our mind, doing battle in our mind, affects many things. So our calling is to have minds set on eternity or eternal mindset or something like that. Um, Take your pick on that. I'm going to read from verse 20. Paul is reminding them here. Why? Why that is? Why we have an eternal mindset? It's because our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is saying if you're a believer in Christ, if you follow him, this is not your home. Don't get comfortable. Your citizenship is not here. It's not Rome. Philippi was, was a, a Roman colony. Um, it was in sort of modern Turkey, what we'd call modern Turkey. And it was probably a wealthy agricultural city. It had clear, strong trade links with Rome. And many of the members of this church would have been... Would have been uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They would have been citizens of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, lost my word there. It's like quick, like... <laughs> um, they would have had rights and privileges as, as being Romans, Roman citizens. And Paul's not going, oh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? He's actually saying, guys, remember, your citizenship isn't in Rome. It's in heaven. Caesar is not your Lord. Jesus is Lord. For us, the prime minister... You might be thinking, "Hallelujah!" Uh, is not your Lord, or any worldly authority, is not Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all, King of kings. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, and our citizenship is in heaven. We're elsewhere. It talks about being seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's our position. That's where we. Are going as it were in eternity. So, how can we have a mindset on eternity? I hear you ask, with bated breath. Well, there's three key ways I want to just um, pull out um, of that, and then we'll we'll land this. Um, first is that God's seeing God's redemption for our yesterday. Secondly, you'll be seeing God's purpose for our day, for our today. And finally, seeing God's plan for our tomorrow. Seeing God's redemption for, for my yesterday, for my yesterday. I'm going to read this. Paul says... But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's just, previous to these verses, he's been talking about his life before, where he put his confidence in the flesh. You know, he was a good Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was part of the people of God. I was in the top tribe. I was so... Zealous for God and I followed the law to the T. All T's crossed, all dots, Isla. I was a Pharisee. I was pretty good in the eyes of the world. Says Paul, not me. Says Paul. And yet, when he meets Christ, he gladly says, it's rubbish. It's lost. He says this. He says, if oh, have I been my spot? He says... I, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I gain Christ and be found in him. He's told, he's told the church of Philippi, don't put any confidence in the flesh. And what he means by that is, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're not called to put our confidence in who we are, our status. The family we are part of, our relationship, being an elder, Tom, Ooh, yeah, I, I get it. Sometimes I have a moment where I'm like, I'm an elder. I'm an elder, aren't I? I'm an, one of God's anointed ones, right? Yeah. And then he's like, really, Tom? Really? <laughs> you know? Um, Paul, Paul knew this. When you meet Jesus, <laughs> yeah, when you meet Jesus, one thing he does do is he helps you see your sinful <laughs> self-righteousness. Yeah, that you've been, oh yeah, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, and I'm going great. And, you know, he, he needs to do it to me lots. I need lots of reminders again and again. Like, really, Tom? But celebrating that it's his grace, not me, but his grace out working in me and through me. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 When we meet Jesus, anything that might have seemed gain and anything that might seem like shame can go. Your past. It's the past. You, you might have baggage in your life. You, you probably do. Um, and I don't know all your sin and I don't know all your suffering. I don't know all your past, but God does. Paul was a man who God chose to plant many churches, to oversee churches and then raise up other elders to oversee those churches. And he was a man who oversaw, before he was saved, before he met Jesus, he oversaw the execution and murder and imprisonment of God's people. So if God can forgive him, he can forgive you, whatever your past is. Whatever your past is, you can see God's redemption for your yesterday. Are you living in the past? I don't mean like you're into antiques or you like to dress up in Victorian gear. I don't know why that thought sprung to me then. But, uh, uh, you know, maybe there is sin in your past that defines how you're living today. It shapes you, yeah? I want to say to you that Jesus Christ offers redemption. Somebody brought it, I think, earlier this morning that that Graham did, that God is working out all things for our good, for those who love him. All things. Even my sin, yeah, all things. That's stunning. Jesus said that in this life we will have trouble. Which means in this life, we will have trouble. Um, it's not the favourite promise of God, is it? Um, but he said it, so it is the case. But he also said, take heart, for I've overcome this world. <laughs> take heart, I've overcome this world, in which you're going to have trouble um, in Romans 8, verse 28, it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes, all things. That's a bold statement. Q shared a bit two weeks ago about the things that Paul had been through. It's a great default. Like, as a, as a preacher, I'm going to tell you, you know, you've got to rejoice always. Paul said, <laughs> I'm convinced of it too. yeah. I know though that many of you, a lot of you, have suffered greatly, are going through suffering in a way that I've not. So it's not a competition. But if you live, you know, more than a day in this life, you will know suffering. You'll have trouble. But take heart because God will. Will. It's a promise. He will work it for your good in the end. Sometimes there is mystery, and we have to live with the why. But if we find, if, if we if we can see the purpose in the pain, you know, we stop asking why, 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 why did this happen? Why is it like that? Why am I in this situation? I was meant to be. It, it, this was how it's meant to be. Why? Those why questions can fade. They don't just end altogether. Often. And we can ask, "What?" We can start asking, "What? what God, what are you doing here?" If you're like me, you probably have to get a long way away from it, eventually to look back and go, "Now I see, now I see Now I see." the foresight of hindsight. She often says, I'd love that. I kind of think, yeah, and we'll have it one day when we're in eternity. If we really want to, if we really need to, we'll be able to look back and go, "Ah, now I see. Now I get it. God will work all things, all things. For good for those who love him and according to his purposes. The good and the bad. The joy and the pain. What the enemy might have intended for your harm. God will work for your good. As it says in Genesis 50 verse 20. And that doesn't matter whether it's your sin. Sin done to you. uh, Or just because we live in a broken world. Jesus is the great redeemer, and he will work all things for the good of those who love him. I, I like to run uh, long distance. Well, when I say I like to run long distance, I like the thought of running long distance. I used to do a lot of running. Uh, truthfully, it was a bit of an idol of mine in my early 40s. Um, I can say that now. I'm far away from it. Uh, it's no longer I'm free. Uh, but I, I love the, that sense of the mental strength that you have to have when you run. If you're running 10, 15, 26 miles, I mean, for some of you, you'll be like, oh, I can't think of anything more boring or torturous, just running, you know. But for me, it, it clicks, sparks something. I love it. Um, and I love the fact that you have to be single-minded. You can't be thinking, about what happened the previous miles. You've got to think about the finish line. You've got to think about... I mean, the pros, really good runners. Yeah, if you're running a half marathon or a marathon, half marathon was my kind of distance, 13.1 miles. Um, and like some of your faces are like, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we can be different, that's fine. Like, you actually try to run the second half of that race faster than the first half. Can you imagine running seven miles Then you've got to turn up the pace a bit that's impressive isn't it Uh, and you do it even more if you're doing a a marathon not me but the the, the pros um why was i talking about running yeah you've got to be single-minded and and it's kind of this single-mindedness this like almost i'm not noticing anything else it's lovely to hear the crowds cheer you on or whatever and grab a drink but actually You've got to keep your pace. It's this single-mindedness that Paul is describing in these verses from verse 12. That when we're seeing God's purposes for our today, we need to have that mindset. He says, hopefully... Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he, he's, yeah, that was, I wasn't expecting that, Rach. There we go. Um, From verse 12 he says not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He's been describing of where he's headed in Christ. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Life is short. It's only taken me the first 50 years to realise that. Um, and uh, I was, I'm what I'd call perhaps a slow developer. Maybe that's why I like long, long distance running. I'll eventually get into it. Um, I only got saved at the age of 30. Hallelujah. Um, but life is short. And uh, before I was saved, I had a very much an attitude and a mindset of like, well, as long as I've got a bit of money, I know I'll always be all right. I had a pretty comfortable, easy and privileged, really, uh, upbringing. And, I, and my confidence was in the flesh. I didn't kind of, I wouldn't have processed it that way. But really, I was like, I'm all right. I can get on with most people, I've got a head on my shoulders, I can run a bit, I'm not too ugly, Um, should be able to get a good job, you know, and and I didn't have any direction, I didn't have any strong sense of purpose or identity, I was quite happy just ending up where I ended up, as long as it was nice and comfortable and easy, Um, and then God decided to take me for himself. (laughs) Life is short. um, And God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of his children. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, this isn't up on the screen. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're a follower of Christ, then our Father in heaven has a purpose for you today. And in the future. Um, in my last year studying physiotherapy, um, I went to visit a friend in Oxford and I went to the church in St. Ebbs. Um, it, was a good, it was a good church. I, I guess it's still a good church. Um, and there was a guy, I forget really what he was speaking about, but it kind of blew my mind at the time. I would say I was not following Christ, I was kind of, I think you're real. I think this is real. Are you real, Jesus? That's kind of where I was, you know. Um, and, and this guy spoke and he said, you know, if you, if you feel ready to, you can ask God what he wants you to do. And he will show you. And something was lit in me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, did I have faith? Or maybe the smallest of mustard seeds like the teeny tiniest bit of faith. But it was enough for me to say, God, show me what you want me to do, and I will do it, whatever it is. Um, I didn't really think too hard what I was saying, actually, in that moment. It's just like, there was a little bit, if you're real, show me what. But he did show me in a profound, clear, powerful way. That night, um, a few hours later, I was sat in the front garden. It was a summer's evening. It was a day like today. And the phone went, my friend went inside, I was sat on my own. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I saw a cyclist coming along on the pavement. And there was a hedge, you could sort of see through it a bit. And then a gap where the driveway was. And I was looking. And as, as this cyclist went past the gap, I saw. And they were in a full physiotherapist uniform. And I laughed out loud to myself I was like whoa it's real I asked you show me what you want me to do yeah I was I was already studying physio it's true I was but God showed me then he showed me the next day not only that I wanted you to be a physio he showed me and you're in the place you're studying where I want you to be you're around the people I want you to be around he showed me that he had a purpose for me I did have a point. I did have an identity. I was one of his sons. It wasn't long before I was following him. I was all in. All in. I'll consider everything else lost for the sake of knowing you, Jesus Christ. And here's the point. A journey, any journey or a race, a journey starts with that first step. It starts with making a start you've got to make a start it starts with forgetting what's behind and if you're a follower of Christ I want to encourage you I want to encourage us let's look to those who are a good example of counting things lost for the sake of knowing Christ look around in the church has he has she said I'm all in I'm all in and you see God's grace out working in your life. Imitate them. Watch them. Learn from them. That could be today for the first time for you. You could ask like I did years ago. You could say, Jesus, whatever it is you want me to do, show me and I'll do it. It's kind of a scary thing. But, but at the same time, you're, you're basically saying I'm all in. You, you're God. You say Trust in you for your plans and purposes. Finally, as, as uh, I ask the the worship team to come up, and um, we're going to respond in a minute uh, in worship. I want to encourage us. We we quieter today. We're thinner. Um, half the church is. Is in Ireland at a wedding. Um, if you knew Kate, by the way, she was part of us uh, early days here at Redeemer. I want to encourage you pray for them, Kate and Andrew, getting married today. Um, I, I find that exciting when people are getting married. Uh, it's a it's a blessing to them and blessing to others, and it's a witness of Christ and His bride ultimately. Um, but if you if you're married, if you've ever been married, you'll know that they need your prayers. Um, so, yeah, if you know Kate, pray, pray for him today. So, how do we have a mindset on eternity? Well, we have a mindset on eternity by seeing God's plan for your tomorrow. We are citizens of heaven. That's where our citizenship is. Our ultimate destiny is to be united with Christ perfectly, forever. That's God's plan for your tomorrow. If you're his. And he calls us to endure. Until he calls us home or until he returns. Whichever comes sooner. We live this day in the light of that day. When in the twinkling of an eye we'll be made like him. Our lowly bodies will be made like his resurrected and glorified body. There'll be no pain. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no sin. There'll be no temptation. There'll be no death. Of any sort. There'll just be infinite joy, infinite joy. And some days you just need to know that's coming. That's coming. Jesus made a promise. He he said that anyone or whoever lives for the here and now, who has a mindset on earthly things, will end up losing it. But he said, anyone who's willing to lose their life for his sake to suffer loss gladly, there's sacrifice. If you're not a follower of Christ, I would be a bit of a scumbag to dupe you and say, come on, it's just joy all the way here. Because the reality is Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. There is sacrifice. Absolutely. But I want us to remember, Redeemer Church, never forget that Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, yours and mine, he's the focus of our joy. He's the source of our joy. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him the other way around. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured for joy. And he calls you and me to endure with joy. Not through gritted teeth, but knowing that we can have joy now and that joy forever, forever awaits us. Forever. Let's stand um, and I just.